Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Well, I received some positive feedback regarding the new format with the guest host um, after the last Q&A segment, and I'm really happy about it because I like it a lot better too, and it's a lot more fun for me. So today, I have a new guest host for the Q&A, and it is Swiss street photographer Thomas Lothard, who was featured in the first episode of Street um, Street Focus. And together, we will answer questions about who we are inspired by in our photography, and whether or not we ask for model releases when shooting street photography. Then we will give our picks of the week before we announce the winners of the last street challenge. Thomas, welcome back. How are you and what have you been up to? Hello, everybody. Thanks for being on the show again. I was traveling, I was shooting a bit, and I'm still on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) So where, where did you travel since we last spoke? That was late summer, I think. Well, I was in Sao Paulo in Brazil. I was in Nice, France, over the over New Year. I was in Manchester for some days, and I can't remember. Did you make a trip to Africa as well? Yes, I was in Addis Ababa. See, yes. I remember. I remembered that because I saw some of your pictures. Well, you travel so much. So, any new favorite favorite place? What what uh, what what really inspired you the most most in the in the recent travels? It's always difficult to say. There is always it's always very different because when you are in Africa, you see a lot of poverty. Uh, you are like the only white person beneath like ninety nine point nine percent dark skinned person. This is, was very interesting to see that everybody could see that you are a tourist with the camera even more. So it was very difficult to to get close to people, even to take pictures. Everybody wanted to talk to you. Everybody wanted to show you the city. So very friendly, very friendly people. Very friendly, but also even too friendly or too (laughs) too close. And you're not into doing street portraits. That would be like perfect for anyone who wants to do street portrait. Yes, but you cannot hide because you are the only one, the only (laughs) tourist. That's right. All things, so or everybody sees you instantly with the camera, so you cannot hide whatever you do, whatever you wear. So this was very difficult, but also very interesting to see. So I don't have a favorite place. I think it's always new, it's always different, yeah. and there's always there are always new challenges to to go to a new place with different cultures, different people. So it's I think that's the the most important thing that it's always new. That's right. And you made a trip to Amsterdam because I saw you you met up with some of my buddies up there shooting street photography, right? Yes, I yeah. was meeting Volker Muller. Yeah. I'm, I know him for about four or five years through the internet, but we have never met before. So it was very interesting to meet him finally. And we had a good conversation and a long walk and a lot of drinks. And it was, was excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, it's always fun. Um to meet people that you know you've been chatting with on, on social media and you and I will get to meet in June at the Out of Chicago conference along along with Marie Lignot so that will be a, a, a lot of fun and uh, so you'll be there for a few days you'll be presenting at the conference as well 
You have two yes. classes, right? Yes, I have two classes. I will do a uh, street photography workshop or even two of them. Also some short photo walks of one hour. And I will be there for about a week, more or less. So, Is it your first time in Chicago? The first time with the camera. I was there like 20 years ago, just as a tourist without <laughs> street photography. Yeah. So this time it will be just uh, for street photography. And yeah, and we've both been inspired by Marie's work when she was living there. So um, I think it will be it will be fun to hang out with you and and Marie and all the other presenters. It's a it's a good group of people. So I'm excited about that. And and uh, there are still spots in uh, for the to sign up for the conference, and it's outofchicago.com. Okay, well, this is this is exciting. Today we have two questions to answer for our Q&A segment. And the first question was actually directed directly for you uh, through the Google Plus community page. And it's from Levi Shand. And he asked, for from which photographer did you learn the most? Was there a most influential, influential photographic voice for you as you were growing in your craft? And is there one now? Thomas. I think it's a very good and a very important question, but I think my answer is not as interesting as the question. When I was starting photography, that was about seven, no, nearly eight, no, seven years ago, in early 2008, I bought my first DSLR and then I booked a photo course in the local, in a local school. They made like a course from which was about three, no, two, two years long. And there, there were some good people and some good photographers. And one of them, he was mainly into architectural photography. And I was always thinking I would never be able to make such pictures as he did. Mm -hmm. And, but he stopped like two years after or even earlier again. And now I think it's, it was not, it was not that hard to get there. But at the beginning, when you are new, you think you would never be able to reach that. And I kind of admire his work. And uh, then I just tried out my, my own things, like street photography and also a bit of architecture photography. And soon I realized that it's not that hard. But I think it's it's not important to follow like the, a big photographer. It's just important that you admire someone could be a smaller one not a famous one and i think it's more important that you follow somebody who publish some new work from time to time that you can get inspired uh like instantly from from scratch that when when this person you follow uploads new stuff then you get uh, more inspiration because if you follow an, an old master then the the work will always be the same so i think it's it's interest, more interesting when you follow somebody who is very creative and also posts maybe pictures which are a bit out of the normal path, let's say not only street photography or not only the, the average or the normal way of street photography. And I think that helped me quite a lot just to have someone to just admire and follow and then still do my own thing and not trying to copy this person or imitate this person, but being inspired and find my own way into my photography. 
I, I agree. I, I, I think you have to find your own voice, but not get stuck. A lot of people think they want to find their own style, but that kind of gets stagnant. I mean, you cannot get stuck in a style either. If things evolve, you grow as a photographer, you keep raising the bar and, um, and find more challenging things to shoot. And, uh, and your style is, a, is constantly evolving. I mean, I look at your pictures from, you know, the early years to today, and it's very different. My work is very different than it was even a year ago, two years ago. I think our life experiences um, influence our style for sure. And then we're, we have access to so much great work out there through the internet. And as you said, it doesn't have to be famous photographers. There are so many talented photographers, whether it's in the street or landscape or architecture, whatever people want to shoot, they can be inspired by um, by just following a group on, on social media and seeing new work by photographers who are completely unknown. Um, and you're right, it's about inspiration. It's not about copying work because especially in street photography, it's such a reflection of our personality that our work is unique because there is only one of us and um and people can't can't really copy what we do and we can't copy what they do because they'll never be in the same situation they're never going to um react to a situation the same way each of one each one of us does don't you agree it's such yes. a personal thing of course, it's a personal thing, but you still can kind of imitate or copy a kind of style or a technique. Yes. But of, but of course, you have to try out the different techniques yourself as well. But I think it's it would be interesting or it would be good if you find someone in your area who you actually could meet with and, and go out and shoot with. I think there you would probably learn the most when you find some photography bodies to go out and hit the street and have some fun together. I think it's also a fun part which helps you grow because when you always have to go alone, you might not be motivated all the time. So it would be easier if you are in a group or maybe just two people, which would be enough. Yeah, especially in street. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and also, yeah, to, to look at, at the master's work, I think it's good to open a good book. Um, and And it probably helps people who are so into technically perfect things and, you know, look, open any book from, you know, Cartier-Bresson or, or one of the early father of, of street photography and, and see how imperfect <laughs> their images were, but how, how emotionally uh, perfect they were. And, uh, and don't get so hang up on the, on the technical stuff. It's really is about the, the emotion and, uh, and, but you're right. Yeah. We do, we do get, uh, inspiration in a, and try to copy, more a technique. And I think that's good. And that's why people go on workshops is to see how, how we, how we shoot the way we shoot and, uh, and going on photo walks with local, local, uh, photographers is a good way to, to do that as well. So, but as for me too, I mean, I, I'm inspired. Yeah. Of course I'm inspired by, by Duano, by Bresson, by so many of the great ones. I, I love Jay Maisel's work and, um, I'm constantly, looking at their work just that's how i unwind i open a uh, i open a good book and i just i page through it um but every day what i see 
on on social media it just blows me away. There is so much talent out there. So, but it's really about getting out and finding your own voice. Um, yes. I think it's more important to go out. Of course, a good book is fine. But especially when you look at the books from the old masters, the world have been a completely different place. So it mm-hmm. it looked different. It was the camera was different. Even the people probably reacted differently Definitely. to mm-hmm. to press on with his camera. And today you face probably you have better gear, but you face completely different problems. So it would be also good to follow a contemporary street photographer just to see what he is doing today maybe in different cities. That's right. And and I know you're you're such an inspiration by uh, you know by a lot of people and um and people follow follow your work. So I would urge them if they don't follow you yet to really check out your your Flickr account. It's really amazing. You have so many images there and and uh, a great source of inspiration. So we'll definitely link all that on the show notes. Well, great. Well, Levi, I hope this answers your question. And we'll move to question number two, which was sent to me via my website. But we'll definitely both uh, answer this one. It's from Lee Alexander. And he asked, I visited your site. Love your work. Here's my question. Do you get model releases from each person you photograph? And you do you compensate them when you create the portrait? I don't do street photography, but I've taken general street portraits. Well, I think this applies to street photography in general, not just uh, street portraits. Uh, no, I do not <laughs> do not ask for uh, anyone to sign a model release for one good reason. Um, I do mostly candid and that would totally ruin the moment. Most of the time when I shoot candid, people don't even know I'm there. And, uh, and I would not sign one myself. If a stranger came to me in the street and asked me to sign a piece of paper, I would not sign it. Uh, it's street photography. We're not doing anything wrong. We're not going to sell those images commercially. Uh, there is no need for a model release. Um, now, if you were to um, to sell those images for commercial purposes, you would not only need a, a proper model release and not just an app on your phone. I mean, it has to be a paper release and uh, more often than not you also need the signature of a witness so this is serious stuff if you plan on selling your street street images for commercial purposes just do it right or no one would ever buy them but that's not what I do I shoot for me for um, editorial purposes only fine art occasionally and uh, from you know as as a teaching material and to write my articles and so forth. Um, well, I, uh, Thomas, I know your answer, but I'd love to uh, to hear it from you as well. Uh, have you ever, ever carried a model release with you? No, I think I've never <laughs> did one myself. I had to sign some of them for the pictures I was giving to other people. They were using it for some books or something. But on the street, I never did that before. And the reason is very simple. It's just too much effort and probably nobody would sign it. But I think if you would be on the safe side to publish a picture on the Internet, at least in, in Europe, you need the agreement of the person on the picture. So 
they could sue you or at least take the picture down or let it be removed when they were not agreeing up front. So it's, uh, I think you can still do candid photography, but in afterwards you should get a model release contract signed just to be on the safe side if you would like to do that. Yeah. Um, I always, you know, I, I see that um, some people are, that's what stops them. They're really nervous. And it's, I mean, we're not lawyers, so definitely check the, the regulations in your own country. Yes, there are countries with, um, with privacy laws, but they're very gray and very soft laws. And uh, as long as you do not... Um, capture anything embarrassing, anything uh, can be politically sensitive or uh, don't photograph law enforcement, things like that, you know, use common sense. If you're capturing uh, a beautiful, candid moment in uh, in the streets and uh, and want to, to publish it in a blog, you know, just do it. And um, nobody... Nobody should ever feel offended by it because you did not do anything wrong. And and also, I mean, for street portraits, that's different. I mean, a, a street portrait implies that you have the okay from your subject. So you have made eye contact, you're doing a portrait. Whether you have a conversation or not, that's one thing. But this is a, about making contact and doing a portrait. So then you would have more of an option to ask for a model release if you if you wanted to. Um, I don't. I just, um, there is an agreement. The person, it has to be a good experience. I mean, when you do a street portrait especially, you and the subject should really part ways with a smile on your face and it was good for both of you. And, uh, and whatever you do with the picture afterwards, you know, as long as you don't make money out of it commercially, then you're fine. But uh, yeah, I just put yourself in the shoes of the, the person on the street. If somebody approached you with a, with, a, with a release to sign, you'd probably find it a little strange um, and have a problem with it. So no, I do not carry them, but... Proceed with caution, Azores. Uh, there are some good books out there regarding um, the different uh, legal aspects of photography and when you should carry a release with you. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, it's trickier to photograph private property than it is people. Um, in the streets in the States, um, you can photograph anyone in public without any problems as long as they're in a public area. But photographing private property uh, sometimes can be trickier. So check on that. I know I always get into more, um, and I mentioned that on the last show, I think, into more trouble photographing downtown if I'm like inside a building. Um, security will stop me versus if I'm photographing people. Um, but they, a, a lot of places in the U.S., um, they're very uh, suspicious if you photograph inside a building, even if it's a public area, because they wonder why you're photographing the structure. Have you run into that problem, Thomas, anywhere? Yes, I think in the bigger city, it's always getting difficult when you are in areas like with nice architecture. I was once in London at Canary Wharf. And it took me about two minutes until the security guy showed up and said, what are you doing here? And we were just hanging around waiting for people and making some pictures. But it's uh, it's really true. It's more difficult in either certain areas where there is private property than in just a public place shooting people. 
Exactly. Yeah. I was uh, recently in New York and uh, they reopened one of the underneath the World Trade, the old World Trade Center or the the new one, One World Tower, I think it's called. Um, and um, I stopped for a very short time and the security card came to me. Of all places, I can see why they, you know, security is, is pretty strong. Uh, he said, it's okay to take pictures. You just can't stop moving. And I'm like, okay, well, that was going to make it quite challenging, but I'll try. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, and it's a matter of respect. I mean, they, they tell you once, they, you know, you hang out a little bit longer and then they come to you again, then it's time to move on. Um, and it's happened to me before, but again, you know, I'm, I don't look threatening, but they're doing their job and it's important to respect that. So, um, so that's, you know, that's, Interesting. It, it's happened to me more in the States than I don't think it's ever happened to me in Europe, actually. I've never been stopped for photographing in uh, in a building or public area. Um, but in the States, definitely um, more so with uh, security. Yes, so, yeah, go ahead. And the best tip here is just not asking, just start yep. shooting and wait until somebody comes. And then they will tell you what's allowed and not. And then during this time, you can still make some pictures. That's right. It's uh, don't ask permission, but ask for forgiveness, right? Yes. Yes. That's my method as well. Because as you said, during the few minutes that nobody notices you, that's when you get your shots and then you're okay to move on. So. And you apologize. Oh, sorry, I didn't know that. And because most of the times it's not written outside if it's written very very dominant outside then of course you have to be careful but most of the times it's not written and then you don't yeah. yes you just start shooting and and just ask act act like a dumb tourist and yes. they'll and be on you'll be on your way and nobody will get hurt <laughs> <laughs> yes good point that's awesome well um lee i hope this answers your question so you know do do as you if you feel better having a model release in your pocket well you know carry one with you if you want to start doing street photography and then just Take it case by case. Uh, don't feel like that's something you need to, to do. But if that makes you feel better, well, then try. You know, the worst thing that can happen is that people say, no, I don't want to sign it. And uh, doesn't mean you have to delete the picture. You just uh, do whatever you want with it. You know, that's your that's your call after that. So, well, great. Thank you, Thomas, for your input on the question number two. And uh, now we are at our pick of the week segment. Thomas, what do you have for us this week? Well, I have a video. I think everybody was aware of the Vivian Meyer video, Finding Vivian Meyer. Mm -hmm. About half a year before, there was a BBC documentation with about the same content, but not from the John Malouf view. John Malouf was the guy who bought most of the pictures. The BBC documentation was about uh, the other part parts of the people who, who bought their photos. So there were like five people or three to five people who were buying uh, negatives. Yes. And I think this BBC documentation is very good. It was not... Uh, It was not available very easily because it is uh, was only on television. And there I found it on a stream called veoh.com. Okay. So uh, Valerie will 
you will post the, the yeah link. i will i'll put the link that's good i saw this documentary because we have a permanent vivian meyer exhibit in minneapolis and uh they have this show on a, in a on a loop so people can watch it when they visit the exhibit and it's a good it's very different um Well, it's funny because I saw that one before I saw the Finding Vivian Meyer documentary. And um, when I saw the British um, show, I felt a little bad about, you know, like she was such a private person. It didn't talk about her attempts at, at showing her work like the Finding Vivian Meyer Uh, movie did. So I felt, well, did she really want this work to be shown to the public ever? But then you watch Finding Vivian Meyer, and it looks like she had made some attempts to have it printed and shown. And uh, so that was a completely different, that was a, a, a new, something new that I learned. So they're very, very different. And I encourage people to see both. You saw both, Thomas, right? Yes. Did, did you think that they were, they told quite a different story in a way? Basically, the story is the same, but I think the the BBC documentation is more about the person yeah. and her loneliness, and while the other one from John Malouf is more about her photographic. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I, I think I watched the the BBC one like quite long before yeah. the the movie in the cinema. But yeah, I learned new things about her in in each one. So yes, um, yes. and and completely different style too. So uh, really, really great. Both of them, I, I highly recommend. I know I I purchased the um, Vivian Meyer uh, documentary through um, iTunes, and uh, you can either uh, view it once for so much, or you can keep you can download it for and it was really inexpensive it was on under twenty dollars and i've watched a couple times and and um i really like it and it's definitely uh they're both definitely good for their own uh in their own way but very different so well thank you that's great i did not know we could um uh, we could view that so i'll definitely uh take yes, take a look this, as well this one is for free so that's awesome that's even it. better <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'll put the link on the show note. Thank you. And my pick is my new camera wrist strap by Lance. I have two cameras. Um, I have the Fuji X100S and I like wrist straps because I always have the camera in my hand anyways, but, um, and it's not like I ever let it dangle from my wrist either, but it's kind of a safe measure. And um, for the Fuji X100S, I was using the Gordy's leather strap, which I really like now because it's getting a little softer, but it was so stiff for so long, it was actually not very comfortable. And that's why I didn't order uh, a new one for my new X-T1, but I ordered the a wrist strap by Lance, which is made of that um, kind of like the climbing rope type material, not quite as, as stiff as a climbing rope, but same type of uh, cord. And um, it's really comfortable. I really like it. And it um, it's kind of on a loop. So it, uh, it tightens on your wrist if your camera falls. So it's very safe and comfortable. It was only $24 on Amazon, which I thought was quite reasonable because Uh, camera straps can get very expensive and very, very fancy. Nothing fancy here, but uh, sturdy and kind of cool. Mine is bright red. So I, I like it. So that's my pick. <laughs> What do you use, uh, Thomas? You you have a neck strap or wrist strap? 
Und oh. one I have a neck strap and the other I have a wrist strap. And what do you use? Do you know the, the brand? It's not about the brand. No, but I mean, if people want to... <laughs> no, I have the neck strap, I think, is from Figosa, an yeah. Italian product. And the wrist strap is from Gordy's. Yeah, so you have the Gordy strap. Yeah, I like it. But boy, was it ever stiff at first. Yes, uh, yes. It takes a long time for the leather to get that soft uh, feel. But uh, they make, they're handmade and they're very reasonable. So check Gordy's uh, strap as well. Uh, they're very cool. And for leather, they were very inexpensive because it's amazing. Have you seen the prices out there? If you start looking at camera straps for those ranch finder type cameras, I mean, they go into hundreds, hundreds of dollars. <laughs> it's Yes, but in the end, it's just a strap. So you could use any or buy any strap. In the end, it's it's the function, which is important. That's sure, right. for some people, it's also the the look or the... I know. Uh, yes, the color maybe, but but red is a bit uh, offensive, I think, for the street. Okay, well, I'll see. I'll get dirty really fast, probably. <laughs> but I, I have a question. You say you have two cameras. Do you carry them both? No. Yeah, one on each. One? one on each wrist. No. <laughs> <laughs> never. No, I never go out with more than one camera. I I was just carrying the Fuji for a long time after I got rid of all my DSLR stuff. And um, now I I was traveling with just the Fuji, but I teach workshops and sometimes they're, you know, week long, two weeks. And I think that's kind of silly not to have a backup because if it was stolen or I, if I dropped it. So I got, I was going to get actually, because I like the Fuji X100S so much. It just fits me so well. It just, it's just right. Uh, I was going to get a second one. And I figured, well, that's kind of silly. Let's just try something else. So my backup camera now is the Fuji X-T1, <laughs> which I didn't like as much because it wasn't silent. And now with the firmware upgrade, it's completely silent. And it has the tilt screen, which is nice. And the, f the other one doesn't. So I put a 35 millimeter 1.4 prime on it. And I think I'm going to be using it as much if not more than the the x100s in the future because it will be better for nighttime and i like to shoot street photography at night because it's a, a really fast lens and with the silence and the, the tilt screen i like it a lot so uh but so far no the the x100s has been my my main camera and um but even when i was shooting dslr i never carried extra lenses i always carried just one camera one lens um So no, just like you, I'm a kind of a minimalist as far as gear is concerned. What do you shoot with again? I shoot with an Olympus OMD EM10. That's right. Normally, I used to have both of them with me, but now I got rid of that habit and I try to just go out one camera, one lens. So the reason why you were taking both is because you had each one with a different lens? Yes, One was a 17 equals 34 millimeter. Yeah. So for the full scenes or for like the, the normal shots, about 95% of the shots I took with it. And for portraits or details, or if I'm not, if I couldn't get that close, I have a 45 millimeter, which equals 90 millimeter. Yeah. But I have not used that so often. So I just realized uh, that I don't need both of them especially yeah. when i was in, in africa i couldn't carry both of them because i was a bit afraid that 
I'm carrying like a, a year's salary of somebody yeah, no <laughs> around kidding. my neck or yeah. two of them. So, and, and it was really not, not necessary to carry both of them. And I think everybody should think about carrying too much stuff with him. It does not really help you getting yeah. anywhere. That's right. Yeah, that is one decision, one less decision you have to make before you get the shot. Uh, at least you have one camera, one lens and... You're good to go. Yeah, I, I find I'm so used to the 23 millimeter um, fixed lens on the Fuji X100S that just having the the 35 on the XT1, I took it out for the first time with it last weekend, and I wasn't. It takes a while to get used to where to stand because you're so used to that mm -hmm. focal length that you know exactly where you need to stand to frame the shot exactly the way you envision it, and I kept having to back up because I was just on the wrong focal length so switching back and forth would actually be tricky but um yeah i think one will be my daytime one and the other one will be my nighttime one so well we'll see how it goes but they both have a different strap <laughs> and they both look pretty cool <laughs> awesome well great now for the challenge from okay we'll announce our winners again this time because we you have a, a guest co-host on the show we can announce two winners for the last challenge which was about uh shadows and again they were it started kind of slow and then week two we got a lot of entries and a lot of cool stuff so thomas and i each picked a winner Thomas, which was your favorite image? And we'll post it on the show notes, but uh, can you describe it and why you liked it? Yes, it is. Uh, it contains a shadow, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it is like, I don't know what it is. It's it's a shadow of a crea creature, looks like an, uh, a dragon or a something. Dragon, yes. Mm -hmm. And when I went through the stream, first of all, I was a bit disappointed that actually the topic was shadows and sometimes you really had to search for the shadow yeah. in, the, in the image. And then obviously the person did something wrong because when shadow is the topic, I don't want to see a lot of other things. And here the shadow probably is 50% of the, of the image and it's an, a really interesting shadow and you're really wondering what... Where is it? Who is it? And what is the occasion where you see such a person? But yep. probably it's like a parade or carnival or something. But then it's still interesting that it's completely empty around it. So that's really... Uh, so the person who did the shot was either very lucky that it was nobody around or it was a certain occasion. I don't know. That makes it even more interesting. And we don't have a name for the winner, so I hope he listens or she listens to the show because it was uh, registered under guest in the comments section. So uh, if that's yours, please contact uh, me on my website or go through the TWIP um, website and the and send me a message through there with at Street Focus or Google Plus or however you want, but you will receive an ebook from Rocky Duck. So uh, please get a hold of us. But that's uh, that was Thomas's uh, winning shot. Mine is actually very different, and it's an image by Richard Cook taken in Paris in front of the Gare du Lyon. Gare de Lyon, sorry, uh, which is the one of the train stations. And it, the light was streaming, he says, between the buildings. And there is this young man on the lower left corner with a really, really long shadow. So it must have been the evening hours. Really long shadow that almost go, goes across the frame. And it's 
visually very pleasing. Uh, I liked it a lot. And it's one that kept, like last time, kept grabbing my attention. Every time I'd look at the new entries, I keep I kept going back to that one. And that means there is something there I, I, I definitely responded to. So uh, that's my winning shot. We'll post both pictures on the show note for this episode. And both winners will receive an ebook from rockynook.com. Great. Thanks, Thomas. And next is our street challenge. And uh, I debated on the topic this time. And then I thought, well, I have Thomas Lotard on the show. And he's known for a lot of cool stuff. But one of his signature uh, type of images is definitely that eye contact. So... Uh, that's your next challenge. Uh, more like provoking eye contact the way Thomas does. But Thomas, tell us a little bit how you do this and why. Uh, first, maybe the why question. Okay. For me, it's important. You see a lot of emotions and a lot of, you can see a lot about the person in, in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So if somebody doesn't look at you, you cannot tell what this person is feeling or yes, how she is or he or she is. So when somebody is wearing sunglasses, then you don't really know what's, what's going on. So I think everybody knows that or has uh, experienced that. And when you take a picture of somebody, a portrait, and he or she is not looking into your camera or has closed eyes, it's for me, it's not the same. I think you can look into somebody's soul by just looking into the person's eye and then still you have to have a certain luck that you really get this this look. So the the reason for me is it's more I think it adds a lot to the to the shot when the person looks into your camera and it uh for me it's just much more intense than it, it it looks like a snapshot if the person doesn't look at you and when the person looks at you it, it's really kind of a better photograph and the first part of the question how you do it well first of all you have to try not to be recognized until you are ready to take the shot and then you have to make something that the person recognizes you or realizes that there's somebody standing next to him or her and then they will look at you and then you press the, the button. Sounds very, very easy, but it's like not. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, and, and it's not a portrait. We need to point that out. It is not a street portrait. It's that first look, that eye contact that the person makes before they even have time to, to show an emotion, to show a reaction, really. It's that first, it's that fraction of a second, right? It's not, it's not minutes after they saw you. This is the, the first look, right? Yes, this is very important. Mm-hmm. I strongly believe that you really capture the person's soul or uh, authentic look when you catch the person before they are able to react. Because when they react, they either smile or they look angry or they show any other kind of reaction. And then you are too late. So it's bef- between the person sees you and can make a reaction. That's probably a second or even less. Yeah. So you have to be prepared before you the person looks at you. If the person has seen you, it's the moment is gone. 
Okay. Yes. So that is something you can provoke, but that's something that happens. See, I don't provoke it, but I do cherish those shots when they happen, but more in a serendipitous way, if that's the right way to say the word. I'm not so sure now. Uh, but when you're, you, if I'm setting a stage and I'm waiting for somebody to, to come through that s- my frame and they make that eye contact. And if I am lucky to be fast enough to capture that, I love those shots. Um, but you actually go and provoke them. And we, we should post a video. You'll have to send me a link. I'll post on the show note of you in action because I know there are several videos of you in action. It's pretty gutsy. Not everybody has the courage to do that because you actually walk to the person. You bring the camera to your eye, right? Most of the time. When no, with the, with the DSLR, I did that, but with the mirrorless camera, I don't. Okay, now you. I, okay. I just hold it a bit up that I can see the, the screen, but I don't. I don't okay. hide. I, I'm. You don't hide, so I'm, people can make eye contact with you and not just your camera. I prevent eye, direct eye contact because when you look into the, I have to be sure that I look into the camera, but I don't like to have eye contact because then I have eye contact up front. They know that something's going to happen. If I have eye contact afterwards, they know that I take a picture of them. Okay. And if I just look at the, and either through the camera with DSLR or on the screen with a mirrorless camera and then take the shot and after that I completely ignore the person, then they are not sure if I've taken a picture or not. And you will prevent uh, discussions if you do it like that. Okay. So you avoid confrontation. But still, proceed with caution. <laughs> you know? uh, don't get into trouble. Do it if you, feel, uh, if you feel up to it. This could be one of the biggest challenges yet. So uh, it's, uh, it's exciting when you get the shot at the right time. And, and, and I'll post some... I'm not even going to attempt to post any of my pictures or samples in the gallery on this one. I will just put some of Thomas's uh, best shots, in my opinion, of that 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 connection that that the the first really that fraction of a second when the person looks up, and uh, and then you, you'll see what he means. But it is it's not easy. But he's got some really really awesome shots. And then you just walk away. Um, yes. If people ask you anything, you just wave and smile, or you just continue walking. I mean, very seldom they ask something. Sometimes you don't have they time. just. They, first of all, they don't realize what's going on. Sometimes they even look to to the back of the person, pretending to shoot something in the background. Then they turn around and they don't realize. And it's that done. <laughs> and then it's done. And no, they are sometimes just confused, or they don't realize what's going on. Another tip I can give you when you are a bit afraid, you can try shooting somebody outside of a window, like in a restaurant (laughs) or like a train train, or a subway station. Then the person really cannot do a lot of things, but you can still get eye contact, especially in trains or in restaurants when they sit towards the outside. They always look what's going on. And when you can get there before they look out, they see that there's something in front of the window because it's probably getting a bit darker and then they look straight into your camera and you just have to press the button that's right and just walk away and you get a a, a, a clever selfie at the same time <laughs> yes you see even the reflection of the person outside depending on the light situation outside so this is even more interesting yeah you should definitely try that because it's really uh, an interesting way of street photography 
Yeah, so do it like before the train leaves. That way, for yes, sure. yes. When the door are when the doors are closed, you have probably one second until the train moves, and in this second, you can you can even knock the window that the person looks out. Yeah, one of my favorite shots that I took actually, I was across the platform, so I had double yes. protection. They were in a train, and there was a there was a it was on the other side, so I was very safe. But it is it takes some guts and uh, and. But it's exciting, and, and in street photography, we have to keep it fun and exciting and something to try. But again, you know, don't get into any situation where you're going to get in trouble. So be cautious. Uh, I'll put some uh, samples, and I'll link a video of Thomas in action doing this technique. So I, I really look forward to uh, checking out those those images, those entries, and the contest will close on January 29th. So you'll have two weeks to enter your uh, images, uh, one per person, and um, doesn't have to be something you shoot within the next two weeks. But if that's something you never tried, then go ahead. If you recently got a shot like that, you're welcome to post it and keep the and keep the images rather small. There, you have a better chance of them uh, actually uploading. So great. Well, thank you, Thomas. This uh, mm-hmm. this is great. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, so. What? Don't fo- don't forget to mention your name when you upload a picture because if you win, it's easier to contact you. That's right. Yes. <laughs> don't and un- don't register under guest, <laughs> otherwise you may never get the book. <laughs> Thank you. And a reminder that Street Focus is on Google Plus. The community there is growing, and people are sharing images. People are entering images in the critique section and uh, getting some feedback. So uh, go check it out. And uh, thank you, Thomas, for joining me today. Where can people go to see more of your work? The easiest is probably to go on thomas.leuthardt.photography. That's my website. And there you can find links to my social media pages where you can follow me. Great. Thank you. And I, you can also see Thomas at the Out of Chicago conference in June. That's the last weekend in June. And he's uh, doing two workshops before the conference. And then he's speaking um, during the conference and, ta- and taking some small groups on photo walks as well during that weekend. I will be there as a speaker and leading some photo walks during the weekend. Marie Lignot will be there, uh, Brian Peterson, lots of uh, fun people to hang out with. So check it out at outofchicago.com. Thank you, Thomas, and um, I'll see you in June. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, See you it, was, in June. it was a really, really fun, uh, fun time again on the Q&A uh, show to have somebody to talk to because uh, the monologues were getting a little old for me. So thank you. And we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Uh, please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show and uh, also to upload your image for the street challenge. Just a reminder, entries will close on January 29. Good luck. My name is Valérie Jardin and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab your camera and hit the streets. Hit the streets.